American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. It was the Spanish who led the first century of European expansion into the New World. But over time, other empires would emerge, and they would be the ones that actually led the European transition towards capitalism. Now, why did it happen that way? One reason was that these other empires made better use of two tools, sugar and slavery. Now, that's a bit of a controversial claim, because for centuries, many people insisted that slavery and plantation products like sugar had nothing to do with capitalism, that these things were completely different. But in fact, we're going to argue that sugar and slavery were in many ways the fuse that launched the rocket that became capitalism. So to see where this story starts, let's go back to where we left sugar and slavery, on the island of Sao Tome off the coast of Africa. The closest part of the Americas to Sao Tome is Brazil, and by 1500 the Portuguese had already discovered and claimed Brazil. It didn't take long for them to transplant the sugar mills and the system of African slavery that they developed on the Atlantic islands to Brazil itself. At first they tried to staff the sugar fields and mills not just with Africans uh, but with local Indians as well. But most of the Native Americans either died quickly or were able to escape. Africans had a harder time escaping because they were transported all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. Brazilian slavery and Brazilian sugar grew rapidly and they grew together. From 70 major sugar mills in 1570, uh, the number expanded to over 200 by 1620. Now, in many ways, these were the first modern factories. This might seem strange because we don't typically think of plantations and factories as the same thing. But think about it. Plantations used extremely expensive and extremely complex machinery. It, they brought together large numbers of individuals who came from traditional societies but were doing very untraditional new kinds of labor. And they produced a continuous stream of a commodity product that was sold on world markets. As Brazilian sugar factories grew in number and in efficiency, the amount of sugar that reached European markets started to increase dramatically as well. Now, as the amount of sugar reaching Europe continued to grow, the attention that Europeans paid to Brazil also increased. And many people wanted to get in on the action. The first group to do so was the Dutch. Very quickly, Amsterdam became the main source of credit for Portuguese planters in Brazil and became a major source of profit for the Dutch financial industry. By the 1640s, the Dutch wanted to take over Brazil for themselves. They were able to take over some of the major sugar areas for a while, but eventually the Portuguese planters got together and chased them out. The Dutch, who had been kicked out of Brazil, headed to a new English colony in the Caribbean known as Barbados. Now, Barbados was a very small island that, in many ways, by the 1640s, looked like a little Virginia. It was mostly settled by indentured servants and a small number of tobacco planters who grew tobacco. With the arrival of Dutch sugar expertise, financing, and machinery, the island quickly converted to sugar and to slavery. By the 1670s, 70% of the island 
was African slaves. And the number of whites was actually decreasing as they moved elsewhere to find other opportunities. About 80 planters controlled the island, and Barbados had become the prototype for the Caribbean sugar colony. Over the next 200 years, one Barbados after another would appear. Now what I mean by this is that the lead in sugar production, the place that was the most efficient, that was the most attractive to investors, and that brought in the most enslaved Africans through what would be an increasingly important Atlantic slave trade, this island would shift. Always one island would appear, and then another one would emerge to take the lead from that one. So from Barbados, you had a transition to Jamaica. From Jamaica, uh, the baton was passed to Saint-Domingue, what is today Haiti. And after the fall of the French colony there in 1791, Cuba would take the lead. Each new island would incorporate the latest techniques and would bring in huge amounts of financing from Europe. Between 1500 and 1850, about 12 million enslaved Africans are brought to the New World. And most of them are brought to that series of sugar islands. They lived and they died in horrible conditions. And at the same time, the flood of sugar that they produced grew every year as planters became more efficient at extracting labor and extracting sugar from sugarcane. Now this flood of sugar dramatically increased the supply available to European consumers. And as the supply increased, the price dropped. Now, in many ways, this permitted sugar to become the first modern commodity. As the price drops, sugar consumption moves down the social scale. It starts off in the 1400s and 1500s as a luxury good consumed by the elite, often consumed in ways that display their own wealth. Then it becomes part of the daily life of middle-class consumers, something to sweeten the coffee or the tea that they drink instead of alcohol. Coffee and tea make them more efficient. Sugar makes them more efficient as well. And then finally, by the time you get to the 19th century, there's so much sugar that it's become part of the daily calorie budget of the average English worker. In fact, some people estimate that it provided 20% of the daily calories of people in the English working class. As the economic impact of the New World colonies on the Old World increases, more and more consumers have the money which allows them to buy plantation commodities like sugar, tobacco, tea, and coffee. And as more and more people buy those products, the amount of revenue for New World plantation owners increases. As the amount of revenue for them increases, the number of slaves they can buy, and so on. Over the course of the 1600s and 1700s, the international slave trade from Africa to the Americas will grow to massive proportions. The number of people brought will double in virtually every 25-year period of those two centuries. As all of this new economic activity takes place, there are a number of changes which occur in the states of the old world, the empires that govern this trade. If you get more revenue from the slave trade and from the sugar trade, then there's something that needs to be protected. To protect it, you need to have powerful navies. To have powerful navies, a state like Britain or France needs to have the ability to tax and to borrow. And that means a stronger domestic state with more inclination to set 
domestic economic policy, and that also means the growth of financial institutions in those countries as well. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Thank you.